Well, if you want to turn with me there to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we began through this book a couple of weeks back. <clears throat> we made it to verse 16 to 17. Last week, we talked mostly about verse 16, and today I want to talk about verse 17. It was just quoted in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. I made this statement last week that pretty much in verse 16, the apostle, and that is Paul, of course, writing the book of Romans, he states his purpose for preaching, specifically for why he wanted to come to Rome and preach the gospel, he says. And then in verse 17, he sort of explains what that is. We'll look at these two verses right quick. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, he says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so we talked about the gospel being the power of God and the salvation. That was mostly what we spent our time in last week. And today I want to look more into what that means because I believe that we have it explained for us in verse 17. There's a lot of talk these days about the gospel. And a lot of people use the word gospel. Especially in the last four or five years um, in greater evangelicalism in America and especially in Southern Baptist ranks, there was a lot of talk about hey, this is a gospel issue. Everything's a gospel issue, right? If they wanted you to follow a certain uh, movement that's going on, hey, that's a gospel issue. You can't, you can't neglect that. You can't not do that. We heard that in all kinds of especially political arenas. And then even when we got to um, COVID, it, we were told that's a gospel issue. And we were told you have to do everything that is being told for you to do or else people's, people will look at the church and think we don't care, right? It's a gospel issue. Now, in essence, I do believe that for the people of God, everything is a gospel issue, but we need to be able to define that a little bit better, especially <clears throat> at what point are we to stop obeying the world and obey the gospel? You can't just say everything is a gospel issue, therefore cave to everything the world wants you to do. There are times when we have to say, along with the apostles, uh, whether it's right or not for us to disobey man, you decide, but we're going to obey God, right? But in essence, what is the gospel? Now, obviously, it's a word that means good news, right? And when you transliterate that Greek word into English, it sounds something like evangelion. Now, a lot of people say it differently. I'm not smart enough to know which one is correct. But you can hear within that our word evangel or evangelist. It's where we get that. One who preaches the good news is an evangelist. And so the gospel is the good news. We are told in early in all the gospel accounts, Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So specifically it's the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God. And an evangelist is one who preaches that. Evangelicals are supposed to be people who believe the gospel. 
And so Paul said in verse 1, all the way back up, chapter 1, verse 1, that he had been called to preach the gospel of God. And then he goes on to say, and this gospel concerns God's Son. And if you just keep tracking them down through where we are in verse 16, you'll see that, and if you follow Paul's writings throughout the New Testament, and really all the New Testament, we can say that the gospel components are these. God, right? God in all his righteousness and holiness. Man in his sinfulness obviously has to play into that. We know that part of the gospel, the good news, is that there was some bad news. But it's about God in the fall of man and Jesus who came to set straight and aright the fall of man through his life, death, and resurrection. And then as Paul says here, we know that the gospel, this good news of Jesus, God's son, is the power of God and the salvation who, for everyone who believes. So what makes it good news? And what does it mean for the gospel to be the power of God and the salvation? Well, I think that's where verse 17 comes in. And Paul used this word again, for or because. Because in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, have you ever stopped to think about that phrase? The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Now, a lot of times if we hear somebody talk about the gospel, the main focus is, well, in the gospel is how you get to heaven, right? But Paul says, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. Now that's very important. That word revealed is where we get the word apocalypse, which just means simply to uncover, right? The book of the Revelation of John is the apocalypse, right? Because it's the unveiling. It's the Revelation. And Paul says the gospel has been revealed or the gospel has revealed the righteousness of God. Now, does that simply mean that in the gospel we find out that God is righteous? We already know that, right? If you've been reading from Genesis up to now, you got a pretty good idea that God is righteous, which means there is no unrighteousness in him. He is perfect. Holy, just, all the things that we know about God's attributes, one thing is for sure, he is righteous. So is this just simply telling us that the gospel reveals the attribute of righteousness in God? In other words, that, the God, that God has instructed us what the law is in the Old Testament to show us what righteousness looks like, and then the New Testament just informs us that God is the only one who is righteous according to his law. Is that what the revelation of righteousness is? That we have an Old Testament that defines law and demonstrates how man cannot keep the law. And now the New Testament gives us gospel that, de that demonstrates basically the same thing. That no man can keep the law, that God alone is righteous. You know, that's what Martin Luther, the great reformer, that's the dilemma he faced him, He was faced with when he was still a Roman Catholic teaching through this book of Romans. He gets to this verse, not very far in, and he is very distraught. 
He was devastated by thinking that the gospel is just a further revelation of God's righteous character. I'll tell you what, try to explain what I mean by that from Martin Luther's own words. He says, I get to this point, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, and I sought long, and I knocked anxiously for the expression, the righteousness of God. It blocked the way. You see, he thought that this was just a description of God. Oh, the gospel reveals that God is righteous. God's character, God's being. And so as Martin Luther stood before this revelation of God who is light and in whom there is no darkness at all and who is so just he cannot look on sin, he saw the righteousness of God and felt like that's an impossibility. I'll never get to God. I already knew he was righteous and I already knew I'm unrighteous. But now I see this impossibility. And he went on to say, as often as I read that declaration, I wished always that God had not even made the gospel known. He said, I saw it and I wished always that God had not made the gospel known because this fuller revelation of the righteousness of God seemed to make me utter hopeless and helpless. I did not know what to do with myself. The righteousness of God blocked the way. Now I find this interesting because think about this. Most of us today, most interpretations, most preaching that you would hear would say, that Old Testament God, whew, he was tough. All that holiness and righteousness and anger at sin. But man, Jesus, now that's easy. You know, like a lot of times we'll say, I could never make an Old Testament because I couldn't be like that God. Now I could be like Jesus. And then you have somebody like this great man of faith who's struggling a great thinker, and he says the opposite. You know what? If that's all this is about, that God is righteous, I wish he wouldn't have called it the gospel. That don't sound like good news to me. Because he said, I see God in his righteousness and his holiness, and then I see Jesus, God in the flesh, and all that is is a fuller, more complete revelation of the righteousness and holiness of God. I knew I couldn't be this, I know there's no way I can be that. I just thought about the, the fact that we don't preach Jesus that way. I mean, do we not? We, we tend to think, oh, I could be like Christ, but I can be like the God of the Old Testament. They're the same, by the way. There's only one God. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, Jesus, and this is what Martin Luther was so battling with, he knew that Jesus was a more full revelation of the holiness of God. Right? He wasn't easier. He would say things like, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. I say if you've looked and lusted in your heart, you've already committed adultery. He brought the law from outside to inside. You say you don't murder, but you hate people. You've already murdered them in your heart. That's not easier. That's more difficult. We think we can be like Jesus, but I can't be like God. He is God. So this gospel of God, which he has been promising through the prophets, it's not 
a revelation of God's righteous character. That's already been revealed to us. But this gospel that is revealed to us in Christ, remember back up in a few verses earlier, it reveals the obedience of faith for those who are called to belong, called to be saints. So this is the gospel which is the power of God for salvation to everyone for, who believes. This is the revelation of the righteousness of God to man. We already know he's righteous. What makes the gospel good news? Because the gospel of God has revealed how man can be made acceptable to God. He's revealed that. Now again, most of our preaching, see if you can track me here, most of our preaching will say, hey, look at God. Look at everything he's done for you. He has come down. He's taken up flesh. He's lived a life of perfect obedience to the law. Look at how awesome he is. Why would you not accept him? Look at the beauty of God. And what we have done in modern preaching and modern evangelicalism is we have said basically the gospel is God making himself acceptable to you. Why would you not take him? When the gospel is the revelation of the righteousness of God, in essence, teaching us that what God has done is he's come down and he's made you acceptable to him. God didn't have to go anywhere. He was already righteous. You're the one in my, and myself. We are the unrighteous ones. We are incompatible with God. We are incompatible with heaven. And so Jesus came to demonstrate and reveal to us the righteousness of God, which is for man, which has made man acceptable to God. God didn't need fixed. We did. That is what has been unveiled. In my natural condition, I am incompatible with God in heaven. I cannot be in his righteous presence in my unrighteous state. Do you see this is where Martin Luther was toiling in his soul? I've done all these things. I've done all the penance. I've done all the confession. I've went to all the places. I've climbed up the steps. I not only climbed up them, I crawled up them to be more holy and more repentant in my sin. Yet here I am standing before the righteousness of God. And I know that I am not compatible with him. The righteousness that God gives to men has been revealed. And once Martin Luther saw this in verse 17, it caused him to rejoice. And man, it ought to cause us to rejoice as well. Because he says it's revealed from faith for faith. Or literally, beginning with faith and ending with faith. As it is written, even through the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. Or literally, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. How do we attain this righteousness that God has made available to man? Through faith. Faith is the instrument which God, by which God makes men righteous. Now please take note of this. God doesn't look down to see who has faith and then save them. He gives faith to those who are called to belong and those who are called to be saints, and through that faith he saves them. So you read, by grace through faith you have been saved, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
But I tell you, one of the reasons that draw, one of the big things that draw me to the doctrines of grace and this belief that salvation is totally a work of God is because, as Paul said, it leaves no room for me to boast at all. I was unrighteous. God was righteous. I had no hope of getting to God. So God came to me and did everything that needed to be done in my place. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He never broke the law. He died in the place of sinners as a sinner. As that great, beautiful song that we sang just said, it pleased God to look on him and pardon me. He should have looked on us, but he looked on Christ and punished him and pardoned us. That great exchange that he who, met, who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the act that happened for all of us who are born again and children of God. We have nothing to look back on and say, man, look what I did. Well, I'm glad I did that. Why don't you do it? No, again, that's back to that thinking of, look at everything God's done. I mean, why would you not take him? Because they can't take him. They don't understand. The righteousness is not revealed. But through the preaching of the gospel, remember the power of God and the salvation is the gospel. We tell people the gospel, and then God in his sovereign grace awakens us and illuminates Jesus, and you realize he died for me. And when you recognize that, I wouldn't say, now go do X, Y, and Z. I would say, rejoice, repent, and be baptized. You believe in the Lord of glory. You see that you are unrighteous, but God has given you righteousness in Christ. This is the only way that faith is not a work. Man, I used to battle with this. I used to pre preach Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and 10, and I could not work out my mind, but how is my faith not a work? And I look at this passage in Romans 1, the obedience of faith. It's my faith that is obeying, not me. And what does Paul say? By grace through faith you're saved, and that's not of yourself. The obedience of faith, that's gospel faith. And that's why it says, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone else, it's a foolish story. It might be a nice story to some, but it's like a fairy tale. But to the one who has faith, it is the power of God and the salvation. Until you have faith, you will only see the righteousness of God as a roadblock. If you're really honest. You know, if you're honest about who you are, about how sinful and wretched you are, and if you're honest about... The fact that even what people don't know about you, you know about yourself. And you realize that God certainly knows those things about me. Then you will find out that you'll, you'll find yourself in this dilemma. How will I ever stand in the presence of a righteous, holy God when I'm so sinful? Oh, because my hope is not in my doings and my works. My hope is not in anything about me. My hope is in Christ. He kept the law. He pleased the Father. He died in my place. He was buried and raised again. And he said, as a first fruits to those who would come after him, so that we too will be raised from the dead and live beyond the grave. Through the eyes of faith, you'll see that God considers you righteous because of Christ. There's no room for boasting. 
It's amazing that people will hear sometimes know that we believe in the doctrines of grace and we believe in a total monergistic salvation that God alone saves and we have no part in it and we believe in things like election and predestination and people say, well, you're just so uh, braggadocious and you're so conceited. Who are you for God to choose? That's just it. Nobody. Why would he choose? I don't know. There is nothing about me that would say, now there's somebody that God should pick. Nothing. It's totally opposite of that. But I'll tell you what else it does. It gives me great, great hope that there is nobody beyond the reach of grace. Because it's not dependent on what we do or what abilities we have. It's dependent on God and His mercy. I mean, the Bible says that to us so often. Not by works of righteousness has He saved you, but by His mercy. We call this imputation. God has imputed or counted to us the righteousness of Christ while He counted to Him our sin. So the gospel is the righteousness of God for man beginning and ending with faith because the one who by faith is righteous shall live. It helps sometimes to get that word order the way it is in the, in, in the original text. You see that it's not by your faith you're going to become righteous, but the one, or you, you can exercise your faith and become righteous, but it says the one who by faith is already righteous, then he shall live. Paul says this in other places, Philippians 3, 8 through 10. He said, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Sometimes we speak in those terms wrongly. I'm just counting. I'm just, I need to strengthen my faith. No, you just need to trust God. He strengthens your faith. Your faith is not yours. Later in Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's a grand and glorious story. We sang a lot about it this morning. It's a beautiful thing. And again, this sets the tone for the rest of the Bible, uh, rest of this book of Romans, and really, in essence, the rest of the Bible. But I think from here on out, we will keep coming back to chapter 1, because as I said, sort of chapter six, uh, 15, I mean, verse 15 explains why Paul is writing and why he preaches. Verse 17 exegetes that, explains it, and then the rest of the book works all that out. It works out in the sinfulness of man through chapters 4 and the fact that the gospel was preached through Abraham and all the way up. It talks about depravity in, in chapter 5 and it just keeps going and going all the while coming back to this. The righteousness of God which has been revealed, which has been received by faith. And it starts making a lot of sense, I hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, what a beautiful message the gospel is it teaches us about a great savior and it teaches us about how great sinners come to be reconciled
to the great God and Savior. We thank you for that. And I pray for anyone that is listening this morning, if their faith has not been a saving faith that brings them to understand this, that you would give them that, that they would understand that if you believe Jesus died for you and that he is your Savior, then turn from your sin and be baptized and acknowledge that before everybody, the whole world. Rejoice in this fact. Let us rejoice with you. And now as we come together as the people of God and we celebrate this fact even more through the supper, we pray your blessings that you will just continue to be here with us, you will continue to teach us, and that we'll be reminded of what Christ has done through the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood for his people. In Jesus we pray. Amen.